0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner, and I'm delighted to be joined on the program today by Michael Goldie. Michael is the managing director of Portal Security Limited, a firm which provides a range of security services, including the provision of security personnel, the manufacture and installation of CCTV systems, and property management. Michael, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme.
1: Fantastic, Scott. Nice to speak to you.
0: Likewise, Michael. Pleasure having you with us. Um, The purpose of this discussion is, of course, to establish your take on leadership first and foremost. So if we dive straight in by taking that word leader aside for a minute and considering that in more depth, I'm interested to understand what that word leader actually means to you and what you feel a leader should be in your eyes.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, without being too cliche, it's obviously you've got to wear various different hats when you're the leader or, or the head figure of a, a company. My main sort of point I would say about a leader is you obviously have to be able to take charge of situations and be able to drive um, progress in your business forward. But I think, first and foremost, that you have to be able to give support to everybody from, you know, your, um, your own staff, staff you deal with outside, your clients, um your uh supply chain and make sure that you're there for them and make sure that you listen to them and listen to their issues as well so that i think to become a good leader you have to be first of all i said apart from that is be a very good listener and then adapt what you hear from different people into the right strategies to make sure that you're driving your business forward by doing things like that so i think you know you've got different hats on but i would definitely say that good listener and then supporting everybody in their different challenges that comes across them whether it's personal whether it's business or whatever it may be but that's what I would say a good leader needs
0: to be and how would you Michael describe your own sort of personal leadership style
1: well I, th- I think obviously over the years as you know <laughs> it definitely definitely changed I would say I was more um, although people definitely know that I, I, I'm in charge, but I think I've got a much more softer approach from what I used to be like. I think it's just through maturity that you you you, you learn how to do that. So I would say that although I'm a managing I think people would see me very much as a supporting role within the team. I think that's how, I, that's how I, I hope people see me because that's what I strive to do.
0: And thinking about maybe some of the influences that have helped sort of develop that leadership style of your own Michael is there anybody that sort of sticks out that you've encountered throughout your career or any influential experiences that you've had that you think have sort of shaped that way of doing things?
1: Yes before I was in the security industry I used to work for JD um, Witherspoon and I was very impressed and still am impressed uh, whether I agree with his politics is not a, a different question but as Tim Martin who's the obviously the chairman of the Weatherspoon group I just liked how um, I started with him when they had uh, under 100 pubs and, you know, I've, I've watched them grow and I've watched how he'd done it. You know, he would come into the into the business and he would, whether the manager was there, the area manager, was there, he would go and he would, he would speak to, you know, kitchen staff. It was, if it was early in the morning, some mornings, he would speak to the cleaners and he involved everybody in every facet of the business. So I went to meetings in the city with him, you know, all sorts of different things. And I just, I watched how he, Man, he's, he's very charismatic. I'm not saying I've got Tim's personality in like that, but I just watched the way they involved every single mm. person from the ground up, right all the way up to, you know, um, CEOs that he employed, how he involved them in the business. And I was very impressed by it and still am. You know, I think that's a phenomenal success story as well. Splinter.
0: Mm, it's um, a real sort of inclusive uh, sort of leadership that isn't it making sure that everybody's um, involved in the uh, yeah. also the running of the, uh, the business as you say there and I think those people that show that sort of style of leadership will be reaping the benefits now through the COVID-19 situation because it will be their employees that are willing to sort of go above and beyond um just to keep things yeah. ticking over in that respect with regard to yeah. the pandemic and the challenges that that's thrown up Michael how has it been from your point of view adapting to meet the challenges of the pandemic for yourself and those yeah. around you in the business?
1: Sure. Obviously, we we we're in the security business, so initially, um, you know, we weren't sure how what would happen with us. But initially, we had a little surge in business, um, because obviously a lot of the construction sites we were doing were completely closing down, so they were want to add extra security on. But then, if you look at from the other side of the thing, the property management once they realised what was happening, they started to close some of the buildings, so we had to follow some of our staff, um, and. We obviously then, our supply chain and everything sort of run down and then some of the buildings who stayed open, we had to make sure that when we were putting our staff into the building, we had to obviously, first and foremost, was their safety. First and foremost was, were they happy to still go into the work? How are we going to get them into the work? Just logistically speaking, especially the ones in London, um, you know, are the tubes still running? Are the tubes safe for them? You know, will we have to provide them transport to get into into the business? So, We all of a sudden were busier than ever just on the general day-to-day, you know, wouldn't say micromanaging, but the day-to-day challenges that each individual building, each individual site, each individual person threw up. So we found that quite difficult and we found ourselves working, you know, long hours just to make sure that everybody was out there that was going out. And, you know, I cannot thank them enough. Um, was out there and performed honestly exemplary service from, from our staff the front line staff who were superb I mean without fail they were, went in and endeavoured to do their job to the best of their ability and we found it difficult to try and support them because we couldn't travel down to London to make sure mm-hmm. we could go and see them um, we had our managers out there, one of our managers then he had to shield for a bit because his dad had taken not well um, and as soon as we got they go ahead that we could travel for business we were down and we made sure we, we myself and my co-director Declan went down into the buildings in London we had Rota set up with all the managers here including myself going out to the, to the um, construction sites that had staff on them even construction sites that were empty we were supplying CCTV solutions we made sure they were getting at least one visit a week because it threw up new challenges like people fly tipping onto sites because they closed down all the um, public refuse collection stuff like that. So we found there was different challenges, and we just had to work hard and all pull together as a team to make sure we, you know, we met the challenges and, and, and got the task completed. Which I think so far we've managed to do it fairly successfully.
0: I can imagine that sort of keeping in touch with people and providing that support from a distance has been a real challenge, certainly throughout that sort of first period of the yeah, uh, the probably. lockdown. Um, but also yeah. with everybody talking about the uh, the new normal that's going to be what we can expect over the course of the uh, the next uh, few months. Um, to who knows yeah. when if we have a vaccine um, or not or a cure for the uh, the virus, um, there is a lot of debate about how our working practices um, are going to change as a result of this, and just what the long term impacts of coronavirus are going to be. So if we think about that in the context of the security sector uh, for a minute, Michael. Do you think that sure. there will be some real changes um, in the way that the sector operates that have come about during the lockdown and could be here to stay under the new normal? Or do you think that things are going to gradually sort of revert uh, closer to what they were? I
1: definitely think, that, as people use that phrase, that the new normal, I think, for example, on if you've gone on to construction sites, house building sites, I think there will be a definite change, a definite shift in how you manage the amount of, contractors coming onto to these sites to make sure that even when it starts to, you know, I mean, I don't think the coronavirus has ever gone away, but once it gets to its lowest there, it's still there in the back of people's minds that this will come back. And then, so I think there'll be health and safety rules put in for how many people can be working within a certain area. And um, How do you get your staff on and off of sites? Because now we use things like, you know, fingerprints and, and um, passcodes and, and swipe cards and some places facial recognition, which the technology and that is not a hundred percent. You know, even at the airports you still get glitches and that's the top, top end of it, you know, massive cost. I believe that maybe temperature checks and things like that will start come into play for people generally just going out to work and where you've got, you know, two some of these big sites have got, you know, two, three thousand members of, you know, staff coming in there to work and I think that, that the health and safety aspect of that, I think it will definitely change long term. I can't see it just going back to to normal. You know, so I think that will be a change that will definitely come in. And I don't know how it will get managed or how it will get costed, but I can see it definitely happening.
0: Mm, absolutely right, and um, I think there will certainly be changes coming through on the uh, the horizon, Michael. And um, if we think yeah. in more detail about what the next twelve to eighteen months could bring for yourself and for Portal Security specifically, what do you envision happening over the course of that period? And what do you really hope to achieve as we adapt to that new normal?
1: Well, I think I think as as well as ourselves, we are very lucky. We've got very good technology guys behind us um, who, who who work for us, and we have very good technology partners. So. Um, we have systems that are there which can definitely 100% accurately do that job so for example but you know if you've seen you're going into a building say you're going through like a a metal turnstile you use your face or your finger to open that. but these things won't be able to work because um what we have to do is have proper temperature reading cameras, um, which you have to go into. A, a, I mean, you say a sterile environment, but just a, a, a environment where the, the ambient temperature stays the same, so you don't get false readings. So I think we'll probably have to look into building new way new ways of putting them onto site. So, for example. Um, if we used like a porter cabin as an example, we'd have to you'd have to have the tops off in, in mesh so that it keeps the circulating air going through it because you can't put false air through it. Got to be open both sides, um, and it takes away from the fact that then you don't have to have another person there to see anybody coming in coming into the site. So we're working hard to develop that to get that to you know it's working one hundred percent. I see that being a good advantage for us if we get that correct i think that will eventually go into more and more um of the construction industry sites um i also think the construction industry and you know obviously with the chancellor um yesterday saying how much they're going to be investing into things but i think it will slow down a little so we'll have to obviously be very careful in budgeting where we are the jobs we're on just now may take a bit longer but whether the jobs we're looking at in the future will start as quick as we thought they were, so we'll have to obviously manage our staffing levels and you know just to make sure that we can sustain our business through this next. I would say you know eighteen months two year period of uncertainty, I think it'll be so that's the kind of things that we are looking at just now and sort of trying to gauge our budgets and our development, how much more do we spend, how much more technology do do we buy because obviously you can't just keep investing if you're not. Getting it put out the other end and at the retail end use of it, so that's a concern for us. So we're just going to have to watch it over the next six months to see um, how the construction industry moves moves on
0: exactly right um it's going to be uncertain times and interesting times as well just to see how industry continues to adapt and you know michael given that it's one thing speculating about what might happen and it's another thing entirely of course reflecting on what's happened when the time comes i think it would be great to catch up and have you back on the program with us in future just to see what stage industry is at at that point and catch up on how portal security itself is getting on as well
1: yeah that that would be good you know i mean said we have we're we're quite robust, you know. We 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 think we could we can we've stormed, <laughs> we've managed to weather a couple of storms with financial crash and things like that, and you know uh, we, we we got through that okay. So and we, we, I'm sure we will get through it. I just you know we just have to be very careful, and you don't want to be too cautious, but definitely mm. cautious of what we're doing. And it will depend on I think confidence. I know you hear that word all over the place, confidence, confidence, but. Confidence people start buying houses again. Confidence to start building hospitals. Confidence to go back into building schools. All these kind of things. Because they're all needed. Infrastructure is needed. All these improvements are needed. But we've spent so much money on other things at the minute. Will there be more money to to fund that type of project? It's the one that's kind of we're wary of whether that will happen or not. So we'll just have to definitely fingers crossed and just be well prepared.
0: Mm. fingers crossed and let's hope the trajectory is only going to be upward from here because there are still so many Hopefully. variables second spike etc um so Absolutely. let's hope so uh michael it's been a real pleasure i've got to say um, having you join us today on the uh, the program i've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion and until we do speak again in future do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on yeah
1: good luck to yourself scott and it was lovely talking to you and to everybody else out there stay safe as they say so take care
0: take care yourself michael and for all those listening in do continue to look after yourselves and be sensible because it really does make a real difference in saving lives i was speaking today to michael goldie managing director of portal security limited and coming up next on today's program i'll be handing over to jonathan white for his exclusive interview with england's 1966 football world cup hero sir jeff hurst during his professional career sir jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of west ham united and stoke city but most notably he remains the only man to this day to Scored a hat trick in the final of a FIFA World Cup, following his treble in England's four-two win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium fifty-four long years ago. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff himself, and all of that is of course coming up next.
2: Uh, we are now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff. First, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh,
3: You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. That's griping or moaning about the system, and if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learnt and I've taken on in my life and my family—you've got somebody in a group who doesn't want to be part of it—you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless about him in his, his staff. And I think that's one thing—I one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time.
2: And is there? Do you think? Uh...
3: they were people that else didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that, that's, that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, any, only a few games before. I was, I was playing, and I played with the Ingris in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Jones and so mm. I, I had an impact of Thinking I at that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into the team because of a, a nasty gash just shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg.
2: And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that
3: I'll be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back at Al. Al. Mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a a bunch of very hard nosed professional, uh, top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, And I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our our group as hard nosed professionals. Uh, We had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years.
2: And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else.
3: Well, I I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week. Over the next two uh, three months, and uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And mm-hmm. the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch?
2: uh, well, you want me can tell you I'm if you sorry. want.
3: You want. You got time? I can tell I you if you want.
2: Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh,
3: doing a, a at a dinner in in the Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. On this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who all the time, it's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if it's these top managers and lead leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, there's they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely.